Thanks for listening to the One Voice podcast. It's a safe place for conversation on relevant topics with real life stories to encourage and inspire you along life's journey of healing from sexual abuse. I'm Mary O'Brien with Nicole Braddock Bromley. Kyla Lanier is Deputy Director of Truckers Against Trafficking, TAT, a nonprofit organization that educates, equips, empowers, and mobilizes members of the trucking and travel plaza industry to combat domestic sex trafficking. For more information, visit truckersagainsttrafficking.org. Well, Kyla, I'm so excited to have you um, on our podcast today. I've been a huge fan of Truckers Against Trafficking for a number of years. And, you know, when I was speaking and sharing my story and writing my books about sexual abuse, I got very um, motivated and interested in becoming a voice against those um, who were enslaved and, and those who were who were putting people into modern day slavery. And I wanted to be a voice for the voiceless even more um, than ever once I started hearing from victims of sex trafficking here in the United States. And that's when I began to hear more about this organization called Truckers Against Trafficking, who, you know, they're out there educating and equipping and empowering, mobilizing members of the trucking industry to combat sex trafficking. I thought that was so unique and so cool how, you know, these people that are just on every road out there in the country, they are our eyes and our ears um, to be able to see, to spot human trafficking happening in places where they commonly occur, which would be travel plazas, and to do something about it. And I thought, wow, this is such a, a creative idea. And I love that, um, you know, I think it's going to take creative minds and visionaries to put organizations like truckers against trafficking in place to stop this horrible evil crime that's happening and so i'm just so pleased to have kyla the deputy director with us today hello it's very <laughs> nice to be here good well i just wanted to get some background from you you know how you got started i know um it was basically you your sisters and your mom right yes Back in 2007, my mom sent my sisters and I a book called Not for Sale by David Batstone. And she said, you guys need to read this book. And we did. And it was just horrific, like eye-opening, um, just this horrible crime of human trafficking. It was just a good overview of global domestic labor sex trafficking. And I don't think any of us realized that slavery still existed. We knew there was exploitation. We knew there was injustice, but the fact that slavery still existed, that was an eye-opener for us. And so we had a conference call because we're all over the states, and we started our first organization called Chapter 61 Ministries, and based off of Isaiah 61, to set the captives free. And we had a very doable mission of ending human exploitation worldwide. Um so a little aggressive, a little ambitious, but <laughs> sure. we were, you know, we were like, let's take this on. And um, my mom and I helped form the state coalition here in Oklahoma against trafficking. And uh, Kendis, who's now our executive director of TAT, she and her neighbor put on a big human trafficking awareness conference. Took them a year to plan um, and they had International Justice Mission, Polaris Project, who runs the National Human Trafficking Hotline, Free the Slaves, uh, Transitions Global, Love 146. All of the big mm -hmm. guys at the time yeah. were at this conference. Wow. 
So we flew up to Denver to really learn from the experts at that point. And that was in October of 2008. Okay. And in one of the breakout sessions I attended, the speaker was talking about his desire to train gas station attendants in the science of human trafficking. Mm -hmm. And I was like, ah, that makes so much sense. I love this. So I went back to my mom and I said, we should do something like this. Mm. And she had been reading the FBI Innocence Lost reports. And one of the places that they always recovered victims, both minors as well as adult victims of sex trafficking, was at truck stops and travel plazas. Okay. And she said, you know who we should get? We should get truckers. Yeah. Most of them are really good guys. If they knew what was actually happening, they would do something about it. So mm -hmm. from that idea, we launched Truckers Against Trafficking in March of 2009, first as an initiative of Chapter 61, but by 2011, all we were doing all the time was TAT. So mm -hmm. we disbanded Chapter 61 and TAT became its own nonprofit. So um that's how we got started with with the truckers. Like I said, I just love that creativity and just going after it. And, you know, I think you've seen so much success in such a short amount of time. And it just goes to show, you know, what a group of women sisterhood really can do when you yes. put all of your talents together, your <laughs> passions, your dreams and look at what you've done. It's just amazing to me. And I think it's really cool. Um, also, how you know, just how you guys are operating. If you could share some of, you know, the missions that you guys are doing. I know you're doing a lot of speaking on this and, and you know, going to different conferences, but just educating truckers. Can you can you talk a little bit about your mission and, and the goals that you have? Sure. Our mission is to educate, equip, empower, and mobilize members of the trucking and now busing industries and to recognize the signs of human trafficking and to know what to do when they see it. Mm -hmm. So. When we began working with the trucking industry, um, we had a learning curve because we didn't know anybody in the trucking industry at the time. It's 7 million people strong, 3 million of those are drivers. And so we learned that there are state associations, there are national associations, there are school associations like the commercial driver's license schools, there are state agencies and law enforcement um, subsections that work specifically with truck drivers and bus drivers. And so really sort of learning that information and then figuring out how to, how to create pathways for each one of those sectors, whether it's law enforcement, whether it's a state agency, whether it's an individual trucker, a state association, mm -hmm. a school, mm -hmm. whoever it is in the trucking industry, how they can fight human trafficking and really giving them the tools that they need to do that. Our basic training module is a, a trucking specific training DVD and a wallet card. Now for busing, we also have a busing specific training DVD and a bus specific wallet card. Mm -hmm. But we speak around the nation to um, trucking audiences, to law enforcement, myself and a, a survivor leader, a field trainer, train law enforcement around the nation. Okay. Um, we work with shippers. So you have like big companies like Hewlett Packard, for instance, HP. They don't have their own trucks, but they contract with trucking companies. And so asking HP, hey, can you talk to the truck drivers or the, or the companies that haul your products around the nation and ask them to tat train? And so HP as a shipper using their 
influence with their carriers mm-hmm. to, to train. So really sort of coming at it from all different sides. So it, it's complex in the sense of it's all of these different groups that we're targeting and trying to pull in, mm-hmm. but the mission remains the same. If you look at all of our programming, it all pulls back to that central mission to educate, equip, and empower mm-hmm. members of those industries. Well, and with so many millions of professional truck, truck drivers out there, I mean, that's a, a great group to really empower with such a great message. Absolutely. And and I have to say, have it, you know, it has been the response of the trucking industry that has made TAT so successful. Mm, you really are looking at that. people that is... Soon as they hear about it, they are like impassioned to yeah. do something about it. They are just like, "What? Give me more of those cars!" Yeah, those that's stickers. so great. I'm these out to my friends. Mm. So it's the response of them themselves that has really um, propelled Tat to where it's at. I think that's really good for people to hear. I think in general, truck drivers can get a bad rap sometimes, but. Yeah. Knowing that most truckers, I think, are good, solid people out there, you know, and they Absolutely. they want to help. Absolutely. They want to be a part of, of change. They want to, I mean, they're in their trucks driving around all day. Like, let's give them a bigger purpose, right? And they, they're family people. That's right. They've got kids. They've got grandkids. Mm-hmm. And so when they realize, and, and this, I want to say, this is a cultural shift. And I know that you ladies have encountered that, you know, with any other group. We have in our nation and around the world this idea that prostitution is a victimless crime, that it's just boys will be boys, oldest profession, all of this crap that has been taught to us and layered over, you know, millennia. And this is the problem. And so obviously the trucking culture, they believe that just like lawyers or pastors or whoever. I mean, it's just this sort of idea that, oh, well, you know, it is what it is. Yeah, and they just and overlook it. we are reframing it. this. Yeah, mm-hmm. we are reframing this to say, this is a potential victim. What is the trauma that has them out there? Who is propelling this or forcing this to happen? Let's dissect this and look at this in a different way. And And I will tell you that when truckers have heard the stories and they understand this notion, they are like, whoa. You know, yeah, we need to do something about this. Yeah. And I think that's really exciting that they can all kind of come together, you know, and band together to do something about it. My real dad is a truck driver and uh-huh. and I had shared with him about your organization many years ago and he still has your sticker slapped on the window of his <laughs> truck. <all. laughs> yeah. But he just told me, I think it was a couple of years ago, Mary, you were actually traveling with me. We were coming back from a speaking engagement. And do you remember my dad calling to tell us about a situation at a truck stop? Yes. Yeah. And so he yes. was at a truck stop. He was just stopping to use the restroom, get gas, whatever, get his munchies to keep him awake. <laughs> and mm-hmm. they, he and some other guys had noticed one trucker going into the women's bathroom and soon they heard screaming. And so these men went in and they found this guy had this girl in a stall and was attempting to rape her. And oh, wow. all these truckers came together and pinned this guy down and got him out of there, like knocked down the door that was locked, got him out of there. One called the police and the rest of them grabbed different items from the travel plaza, like crowbars and stuff, and held the guy down to the ground until the police came. And I just thought, I mean, that really shows, you know, you when when you have that culture shift, you know, where maybe once, well, 
maybe they had a relationship, maybe, you know, all these things, this is just, she wanted it, she invited him in. But when you change the language, when you change the understanding of what this actually looks like, these truck drivers will come together to do good. Absolutely. I think, you know, there's a moral compass and Mm -hmm. when people understand what is right, what is wrong, this is not a by choice profession type of a thing, but it's an oppressive, exploitative practice. They're going to do the right thing. So I do think the language is important and I do think reframing the idea is important. Yeah. And I and I think that truckers are on the front line. I mean, we hear so often the the cities who have the most amounts of trafficking happening are where interstates are connecting. Right. So that just goes to show you that truckers really are, you know, the frontline groups to be those eyes and those ears and to make those those phone calls to the hotline. Yeah, they're definitely in places that other people aren't. And so they're going to see things, you know, whether it's at, you know, on city streets or loading docks or mm-hmm. places of business, you know, hotels or motels mm-hmm. at truck stops being one place as well. But yeah. yeah, for sure. And there's more of them out on the roads at any given time than there are law enforcement. Wow. And yeah. we know that law enforcement depends on calls from citizens mm-hmm. to let them know about what's happening, whether that's you know, at a truck stop or at a hotel or at a place of business or just when they suspect something is going wrong. So it's important to really not just the trucking industry, but that all of us know the signs to look for, that all of us are, you know, equipped with the hotline number, you know, to make that call and that we do it, you know, that we don't, that we trust ourselves and we make that call. What is your biggest challenge you know, in this work? Has it been, for me, I've had some struggles working with law enforcement on some of this, and that's been hard for me um, to feel a little bit like I'm always going rogue. But um, <laughs> but I've also had good experiences too, so I don't want to frame that in a bad light. But what are the biggest challenges that, you know, TAT has come across? You know, I mean, I, I think there's always a level of um, pushback To a degree, you know, with any group, Mm -hmm. um, within industry, within law enforcement or whatever, that either um, they don't want to believe that it's happening in their town. They don't want to believe that perhaps they made a mistake in the past in not seeing it for what it was, um, not wanting to acknowledge its existence because it might be bad for business, um, things of that Mm -hmm. nature. But Mm -hmm. I would tell you that that's only been about 10% of our experience 90 percent's been very open to to the the concept and 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 doing something about it you know that we've we've again it the reason why tat is where it's at is because of the industry itself and law enforcement really stepping in and saying hey we do see them as valuable partners we do see them as people that that could call in tips to us and and this is a good thing and let's promote this as well so Okay. I would say there's always a little bit about that pushback. There's so many areas to expand. And just like any nonprofit, you run into budgetary issues where it's like we're maxed out on what we're doing. We're maxed out on our people mm-hmm. to, to try to propel the things forward. Yet we know, oh, my gosh, here's this need here. Or if we had just one more person, we could do this over here. Or yeah. we need to expand into Canada or, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Sure. So there's always those issues. But 
Uh-huh. I know God always provides. He always has. He will continue to do that. Yeah, that's so good. And is that what you'd say is what keeps you going? That that belief that, you know, it's all going to work out just to keep plugging ahead, just, just trusting God to provide. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, we always are humbled by how far Tad has come. And we are very well aware that God has opened doors for us, that he has closed doors where they need to be closed, that he has guided, um, you know, the decisions. Um, Tad is a secular organization, but leadership is Christian. And so we pray, you know, we uh, we are seeking God on, you know, what his will is and, and how we can proceed with different things. So, I would tell you, I I talk to people who do make comments like, well, how do you do this? I get so depressed just doing the training sometimes. I have to hand it off to other people. I don't feel that sense of hopelessness. I look at the survivors that I have been privileged to work with, you know, in this profession and and see what they've overcome to see what they are doing and contributing to society. Mm -hmm. That is empowering to me to see that. When I see law enforcement who've gone through a training and then start to recognize signs and make a bust and do a recovery, you know, and they're like, that is empowering to know that what we are talking about has an impact and and lives are being changed. When I hear from truck drivers who on our Facebook page, somebody will make some, you know, horrible comment about, well, they're all just a bunch of blankety blank blanks, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, talking about prostituted women. um, Mm -hmm. And it'll be truckers that come on there and say, Mm -hmm. perhaps you don't understand, you know, and they start to explain the life of exploitation, the trauma associated, and they're like, they're schooling their fellow drivers, they're schooling the public, um, Mm -hmm. they're passing along articles on why legalization or full decriminalization of prostitution is not a helpful remedy. You know, I, yeah. those types of things are empowering and hopeful. And I believe that God gives us those little snippets of success stories of when a trucker's called in and yes. law enforcement responds appropriately and a victim is recovered and perpetrators are arrested and tried. It's like you see that and you see tears in grown men's eyes when they're learning about it and they're recounting stories that they've seen you know, I, that that keeps it going. Because they're real people. And when you have a real yeah. real person having a rescue story or prevention story, or you know, it's it just keeps you going. I'm totally with you on that. Absolutely. Would you say that's your favorite part of the work is hearing those stories or tell me it's not going to truck shows because my dad <laughs> loves these truck shows and I and he wants me to go and I just can't because I just don't get it although I will say he just went to one in Ashland Ohio a couple weeks ago right and I yeah my he had my sister go my half sister went with him she's a better child than I am obviously (laughs) but she said she said it was so crazy and boring but it's so funny to watch them all get along like they are having the time of their lives but the best part of it was they had the slowest truck contest literally you have to keep oh my god you have to keep your wheels moving they can't stop but they're going as slow as possible so it's like oh (laughs) this makes my skin crawl just hearing that let alone watching it so the last person to the finish line wins it but it's like (laughs) i just 
can't imagine. I can't. My dad was loving it. Ugh. But it's cool though, to see that it's this camaraderie thing. They're a family. Though. They're in it together, and awesome yeah. to see like when it matters, they're stepping up. That's and, it. That's yeah, it. it's fun. But so tell me, it's <laughs> your favorite part of the work is not going to truck shows. Tell me your actual. I love a good truck show. Knew it. I, knew you were I love say a good that. truck show. You know, there's a, a truck driver, country singer named Tony Justice, who. Um, used to put our wallet cards inside of his CDs, and on one of Aww. his CDs, he actually made the the picture on the CD was our logo with oh, the wow. hotline number on it. Mm. Like, I love a good Tony Justice concert. He plays at those trucking shows. Oh, that's cool. I love talk. I see my people. You know, I mean, yeah. these were the grassroots people with Tap from the very beginning. So, yeah, I it's love the a good community. Show. I get it. Yeah, and that's it how is. it is for my it dad is. too. It's, it's, its own world. Yeah, you know, they have their own lingo. They have their yeah. own, and you know, the truck driving championships that the state trucking associations hold. Right. It's like a skill based, you know, championship. Mm-hmm. It's just like. You get into the world after a while, and then you're just like, I'm so proud of these guys. You know, like, it's really awesome. I love love a good trucking show. I think my favorite (laughs) part, what is my favorite part of working for Ted? I I get to do so many different things, and I Mm. think that that's what I really like. Mm. I like I said, I get to train law enforcement. I run the social media. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I basically maintain relationships with 29 states, um, whether wow. that's their associations, law enforcement in those states, um, you know, anything that a reporter that's coming out of those states, et cetera, et cetera. So I think it's the constant challenge. Yeah. It's, it's being able to, like, I got to help um, Consejo Ciudadano, which is the Mexican hotline for human trafficking, they replicated our model. And so getting to go down there and work with them and, you know, help develop their Guardianes del Asfalto, the Guardians of the Asphalt wow. program oh, was cool. like a lot of fun. So, you know, it's those types of things and working with survivors, whether it's through our monthly blog or, you know, with the law enforcement trainings or mm. when I'm in a state visiting, um, you know, like I did get to have dinner with Jennifer Kempton. Um, when I was in Ohio, uh, you know, I was met with Kelly also book and um, just so many survivors when I'm out yeah. and about, you know, getting to, Hey, aren't you here? Let's meet up for dinner and just, yeah. Getting to meet people, that's that's why I do this, that's you know, great. and so it's really nice that's for me. That's really good. When speaking of, you know, meeting with the survivors and obviously our our mutual friend Jennifer Kempton, you know, and thinking of her story, you know, it still can break my heart and make me cry at any moment. Mm-hmm. You know, is Tat involved much in the aftercare of survivors? Because that's a big thing on my heart, especially since the death of Jennifer is just... You know, how do we keep these survivors in the game? How do we continue to care for them even after they've seemingly been rescued and are doing well in their healing? But right. healing is a lifelong journey. And especially someone who's experienced that level of trauma, they need ongoing care forever. Right. Is Tat involved yeah. in that as much or more in the preventative end? Yeah, we're preventative intervention. We're not uh, aftercare. We do not provide direct services, mm-hmm. nor have we ever provided direct services. Okay. Um, it, but do I? Is it a huge need? Yes. Yeah. And you know, Jennifer Kempton's story certainly brought that into focus. I mean, here you have 
a survivor who was internationally known for her work with Survivors Inc. and, you know, the the work that she was doing. And I mean, by all accounts, she looked like she was doing well and was successful and, and you know, had so many people looking up to her. And I just think that all of us have to be very honest, you know, mm-hmm. whether it's sexual abuse or rape or sex trafficking or whatever trauma that it is, that it is we have to be honest that it's a lifelong crisis. We have to be honest with ourselves when we start to go into a dark place or we start to be tempted to go back to um, what our coping mechanism is, whether it's drugs or alcohol or bad relationships Mm -hmm. or food or, or whatever that is, you know, neglect of ourselves or neglect of others. When we start to see those triggers, first we need to identify them, but as we start to see those things happening, that we reach out for help, that we have those support systems. And I think that, you know, I've seen some survivors say we all wait until we're like suicidal or we've, you know, something's happened before anybody even has any clue about what's going on. And we've got to check in with each other more often. And I do think there needs to be some transparency. and, And I also think organizations should not shut down on survivor leaders who are honest about struggles that they are going through. And I think that that's always that quandary is a survivor leader feels like she has to at all times be this perfect, polished person. And if they show any weakness, they're not going to get a speaking gig. And that's not okay. And that's a flaw in the anti-trafficking movement. Mm-hmm. to try to create this, mm-hmm. I don't, falseness, yeah. you know, like, oh, you have to do this or we're not going to work with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, That's not okay. That's we not. have to accept, hey, this person is going to be dealing with some of this stuff for a long, long time. Yeah. Yeah. And they're still a powerful speaker and they're still, they still have amazing things to teach and they still are subject matter expert mm-hmm. and how can I support them in this thing that they're going through right now and not cut off their livelihood? Yeah. And I think that that that's like this, this thing that is happening where survivor leaders feel like they have to hide uh, what they're struggling with in order to, to keep jobs. And that's, that's wrong. For sure. And um, I actually do a radio gig. Like I have a radio show for my full-time job outside of what I do with Nicole. And I've even found with my own abuse and my own journey and healing and everything in those times of feeling like you're so raw and you're just this open wound that it actually gives you kind of a leg up in a positive way of being able to tap into that pain that is still there right. that I think brings this realness to your audience. And I don't want to say that you want to keep yourself in this place of always experiencing this pain and like you're always just constantly in in the trenches, but it allows you to kind of still be in communication with it where what you're then experiencing and, and sharing with the audience, it's still fresh mm-hmm. and still kind of right. a, a part of you. Yeah. So you're not too far away from it to then lose touch with what's that like, you know, if that makes sense at all. Yeah. It makes you transparent and a, and a real human with real feelings and, you know, flesh. It's, it's not just fake. 
And hopefully, like Kyla said, I mean, it's we've got to be able to come behind these real stories and understand that this trauma is so deep. And if someone has the bravery and the courage to share their story, that is so commendable. And people want to hear that. But they also know that this isn't the end for them. There's lifelong healing ahead and, and we need to support them at every step of the way. Absolutely. Well, thanks for saying that. I think that that carries a lot of weight. And I'm, I'm always glad to hear other people sort of echoing what Mary and I have said for years <laughs> on that topic. Um, but Kyla, how can people get involved in, in Truckers Against Trafficking? You know, I'm thinking, one, I know you have many free resources, but also how can they um, kind of come alongside the work you're doing? I'm thinking of, you know, right now, lots of family road trips happening can they look for certain signs? What would you encourage people on the road, you know, doing something like that, like a family road trip, a vacation? What can they do? What do they look for? I think that if you are stopping at gas stations or rest areas or uh, travel plazas, et cetera, if you see, um, obviously, the, the clear signs of prostitution taking place, that you call that in, you know, you get mm-hmm. law enforcement there to um, sort of assess the situation. If you suspect something, maybe it is an RV or a van parked out by where the trucks are parked, okay. or you see somebody going truck to truck to truck. Um, if you see a young person with a much older person and they don't look like they are, related, um, if there's just like signs of fear or um, there's inappropriate touching, things of that nature, mm-hmm. call that into the hotline, call that into 911 if you're for sure that something wrong is, is taking place. Like trust your gut on that. Right, yeah. You know, we hear from people that say, I think I saw something. I probably should have called. It's kept me up for two nights. But at that point, the person's long gone. So trust your gut and call it in. You're not, you don't get in trouble for being wrong. That's great. You know, if it's a a good faith call, it's, it's a good faith call. So make the call. Um, If you see, uh, if you overhear people talking about commercial company, if you um, overhear somebody talking about uh, making a date with somebody or, you know, those types of things. I don't know if they'd be in the position to hear that like a truck driver would, Mm -hmm. but call that in because they're talking about prostitution. Mm. Um, If you see, if there's like hotels, motels attached right next to a truck stop and you see people coming in and out of that, or you see a car driving up to a truck, dropping somebody off Mm. and then coming back in 10, 15 minutes and picking them up. Yeah that's your trafficker. Um, So again, anything like that, that just seems out of place, that seems a little bit, well, that's weird. Well, you don't see that every day. Well, there might be a reason for that. So again, calling that in and at least telling your suspicions, you've done all you can at that point. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's what we need to do is just make those calls and let law enforcement do their job and suss it out, you know? Yeah. Um, So I would say that. Okay. If they, if you've got people that on a regular basis are traveling, like um, salespeople or their commuters, and they do like a three-state region or, or whatever that they're constantly on the road, if they want to get a supplied of wallet cards, um, they can take them into management at the truck stops and say, "Hey, have you heard of truckers against trafficking? 
Um, I can leave you some wallet cards. We all have a role to play in combating human trafficking, things of that nature. Um, I think the important piece is recognizing that truck stops and travel plazas are part of the solution. They're not the problem. Traffickers exploit locations as much as they exploit victims. And so we can't go in on the defensive, like attacking these businesses. Mm -hmm. Um, They are oftentimes very legitimate businesses that are just trying to do their job. And they don't necessarily all know um, what's taking place. And so giving them that information and viewing it more as an empowerment, bringing another partner into the fight versus chastising and accusing that's the best way Um, we've had definitely people that have looked at the truck stops as the problem um, and that's not that's not typically the case that's a good way to look at it so would people that want to get involved and maybe you know be part of the middleman between truckers against trafficking and these travel plazas and providing those resources, would would you just encourage them to visit your website? How would they get those materials and get involved? Yeah, um, we have a volunteer training. It's basically like best practices for how to approach truck stops and travel plazas in your area. If they just write an email to tat.truckers at gmail.com, we can send them the volunteer training, and then when they're done with that, they'll get some supplies, and they can go into the independent truck stops in their area, the, like, regional chains, and pass out materials. And, again, the webinar sort of prepares them for best practices for doing that. Like, what we've learned over the years is the best approach. Well, that's great. Well, thank you, Kyla. Um, this was really fun to get to, to talk to you and to share your story and the organization's mission um, with so many of our listeners. So uh, we celebrate you. We celebrate your sisters and your mom. And it's just <laughs> so cool to see where you've come, what you're doing now, and the huge impact that you're making on our nation's highways and for the sake of this next generation of kids. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate the invitation and I enjoyed talking with you both. Another way you can get involved in this fight against human trafficking right here, right now, is to meet the deep and important need of supporting the survivors like we talked about in this podcast. One of the missions of our nonprofit One Voice for Freedom is to put on pamper parties for survivors of domestic sex trafficking who are in safe houses and in recovery. We bring a meal, we share stories, Nicole signs our books, we have a nail tech give manicures, and we give them each a backpack full of pampering products, all to help these women feel seen, valued, and loved. You can help too from where you are right now. Go to Amazon.com and purchase any of the items on our wish list to fill these freedom bags. It's quick, it's easy, it will ship directly to us. Go to the One Voice for Freedom Facebook page to find the link to our Amazon wish list. We're doing one in Chillicothe, Ohio this Friday and continue them in our cities and safe houses every month. Partner with us and you will help let these women know they're loved, they're valued, and their hard journey to healing will all be worth it.